Hello everyone, Simon here from Snapshooter.com and you're listening to the Pushing to Production podcast. On this podcast, we focus on the purely technical side of running a project, learning about how startups go from code to production. Hello and welcome to another weekly episode of Pushing to Production. This week I'm joined by Lucas Klein from Data Cake. How are you doing, Lucas? Very good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. Could you give everybody a quick overview, more on the business, not on the technical side of your business, Data Cake? Yeah, sure. So I'm one of the two co-founders of Datacake. We are nowadays a so-called no-code IoT platform. So what that means is that we are providing solutions or a managed platform for our customers to get sensor data onto the internet and analyze it, visualize it, and act on, on the data. Okay. What would a typical company be like in that sense then? Someone monitoring a factory or am I, am I picturing the right thing or...? Yeah, that's that's probably a tough question because we have so many different kinds of customers. So in, especially in the last year, like smart city was a very big thing, like parking space monitoring, also CO2 monitoring in public spaces. But actually, we started back in 2017 working with like small, medium-sized enterprises in Germany, like traditional factories and stuff, monitoring their machines. This is how we started. But we saw a huge shift, especially in the last two years since the pandemic started and everything moving to like self-service and um, yeah, smart city. Basically, environment monitoring is, is a huge thing nowadays. Okay, so your customers have, I presume, thousands if not more, devices that stream data to you and you're you're kind of aggregating that data for them. Yeah, exactly. So there's like different technologies, how the sensors um, send their data. When we started, um, there was not that much on the market. So we started with like cellular connectivity. We um, actually even built our own hardware back then, a, a cellular PLC controller, because there was not much on the market. But there's a technology called LoRaWAN. It's a low-power, wide-area network. And this has a huge coverage in other countries. So we are from Germany. And in Germany, this technology like did not really exist until a couple of years ago. But for example, in the Netherlands, they have like the big providers, uh, K, um, KPN, as a nation, nationwide uh, network. And this network allows for like low-cost, battery-powered sensors to transmit data. And this already exists, so we don't provide the connectivity itself. But where we come into play is like the thing on the internet where the sensor sent the data to. So a sensor sends the data to a gateway and the gateway um, streams it to the internet. And this is where we grab the data and uh, we transform it. So the sensor sends like bytes. That does not really make sense. So we provide so-called payload decoders that convert these bytes into like actual measurements and we store them in a database and um, act on the data. Okay, is that due to the net nature of the network as in this very, very efficient and not yeah. just sending broad? Yeah, you can't really, I mean, you could probably send like plain text JSON, but this does not really make sense because it's pretty restricted uh, regarding like the data rate. Interesting. Okay, I always wondered because we um, had smart meters installed here in the UK and I always wondered how they communicated back. I imagined it wasn't a, a SIM card in there. <laughs> Maybe there so. is, but this would not really be like cost efficient. But yeah, pro- probably it's LoRaWAN. Could be. That's cool. So from that then, you are, you are ingesting... What's, what sort of scale of data are you ingesting every day then or every hour? Like Currently we're processing roughly about uh, 10 million measurements a day. 
So this Crazy. translates uh, back down to something like uh, 110 per second. So um, this is what we store and our um, API currently has around uh, 450 requests per second. So this is not just the data coming in, but also like data going back out to other systems or to dashboards. Okay. What kind of tech stack are you running there to um, deal with processing this data and aggregating it for your customers? Yeah, we have quite a few technologies involved. So our main application is running on uh, Kubernetes. We decided to use Kubernetes to be, be a bit like cloud independent. So currently we have everything running on DigitalOcean because it makes the uh, DevOps process for us very simple. And um, But our technology allows us to also move to, to other providers as well. So Kubernetes and the uh, main application, the API, is a Python Django application and it communicates with the front end via um, GraphQL API. We also have traditional REST APIs to integrate with um, other systems. And the way data comes in, it's pretty broad spectrum. So uh, most systems use traditional um, HTTP post requests that send the data to us. But we also have integrations with, for example, uh, MQTT brokers or co-AP systems. So it's a lot of technology involved in IoT and there's no like one-size-fits-all technology, but we try to support as much as possible. I presume those standards are pretty set at this point, right? So are you dealing with things constantly changing with those or is that stable? Fortunately, it's pretty stable, especially the, the LoRaWAN space. There's new technology like uh, NB-IoT that's currently developing and emerging so this is, it still moves a bit, but um, especially on LoRaWAN, it's it's great that all the different sensor manufacturers speak like the, the same language and that they, they uh, have decided on a standard for like the, the payload decoders. So it's uh, pretty good that um, like the whole ecosystem is just really, really nice to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mind going into a little bit of detail about your current spend? Like how much is it costing you at the moment to keep that kind of infrastructure online? It's it's almost five digits, but yeah, we are still moving around things like optimizing the database, etc. We've seen a lot of growth uh, in the last year, so we had to scale up pretty pretty crazy. And now we're at a point where we can like focus on getting things right and finding ways to optimize the data storage, etc. Do you have to retain that data for a long time then? Yeah, so our business model or our, our pricing is based on how long you want to store how much data. So our most popular plan stores the data for one month, but we are also currently working on pricing plans where you can like set a data, custom data retention and also like quantize data back then. So for example, you want to store like the full resolution of data for one month, but then an average every five minutes for the next year. So this is what we're currently working on. Okay, that's cool. I haven't, I haven't personally dealt with anything like that, but uh, I can imagine storing data for the last 12 months uh, down to the every every single request uh, <laughs> becomes it's that's a good challenge yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> how do you deal with reliability am i right in thinking that if your system goes offline you're going to be missing data or will that data come back to you again it really depends what what part goes offline we have an uh, apache kafka queue that like stores the data coming in so we are able to backfill some of the data but if everything would go down, then of course we would be missing some data. Fortunately, this has never happened in uh, in the past. So we've had some incidents where there was like a delayed ingestion of data, but we were always able to backfill all of the data. But um, as you can imagine with like the 450 requests per second, so um, every second of downtime is like 
uh, really important. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So that then leads me on to the question of how do you deal with code deployments and stuff? Because that seems like a very critical system. If you're down for, you know, f- even five minutes between like a dodgy deploy, that's five minutes of customer's data gone, which as you say, you can't, you can't, the sensors don't send it again or there's no like queuing process between you and them, is there? Yeah. So fortunately, most of the development nowadays happens on like the site where you, how you get the data out from the database. So the part where you get it in is pretty stable and we don't touch it that often. And then again, we have queues in the background. So we have on our Django API, we have salary workers that also process a lot of messages. So on a deploy, we sometimes the queue fills up a bit, but um, it's not that not that bad. And our deployment process, um, as I said, is based on Kubernetes. So we're using Argo CD for continuous deployment, which also makes things like rollbacks very easy. And yeah, so deployments fortunately are pretty smooth. Okay. Do you have to deal with scaling, auto-scaling, that kind of thing? Um, or is the, the rate that you ingest a pretty, pretty sort of stable? We do have to deal with auto-scaling. So we have some customers where their devices, for example, send out data every hour with the data for the last hour. So we have typical peaks that repeat themselves. So this is pretty easy to handle because we like know the pattern. But sometimes since we have like people onboarding themselves, we not always talk to our customers when they onboard, for example, a thousand devices. So um, we have to act on this. So we have a couple of auto-scaling things involved. For example, the typical Kubernetes auto-scaling that's based on the load. But we have also auto-scaling based on, for example, our salary queue length that will uh, spin up for more workers. Just curious with that. If you're using DigitalOcean, their billing resolution is down to the hour, right? So there's no... If you scale up, there's no scale down within 10, 15 minutes. There's no cost saving associated with that. Or am I incorrect? I haven't really tried this out yet because we have a lot of like droplets in our um, DigitalOcean account because it's not just the Kubernetes, but we also offer different other services like a managed Node-RED offering that in the background is spinning up um, droplets as well and also spinning them down again. So our billing is is a bit complicated so i don't really know how the auto scaling <laughs> reflects that. fair enough fair enough yeah i've always liked that with at least aws that they build down to the second with a minimum of 60 seconds but i don't think you'd ever be able to get a server to start up and do work <laughs> in less than a minute so. yeah so like the typical auto scaling is it's not really like spinning up a server or another um need to snowed for 15 minutes but it's usually for a longer time and most of the time we're like auto scaling up but um, then the load does not really decrease again. So like we're usually just increasing. (laughs) That makes sense. Okay, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Every time you add a new customer, you're expecting thousands more or hundreds more. Yeah, and these devices stay online, so they rarely go offline again. So the data will keep coming in. Oh, okay. You don't have device churn in that way, then it's just more and more. (laughs) We do, but uh, fortunately it's positive. Mm, Cool. Do you have any um, horror stories? This is sort of my favorite part of the show is asking, uh, is there recently something that um, meant like all hands on deck with the with the servers and the tech? Yeah, we have a few. So like the hardest part of our business is the actual time series data storage. So when we started out, we used a um, technology called InfluxDB and we've been pretty successful with it in the first uh, couple of uh, months or years. But at some point, we noticed that we have to switch technologies and we, we now decided to um, use TimescaleDB, which is an extension to Postgres. And mm-hmm. this is a really great technology, but they also offer... So 
to step back a bit, we like to use managed services. So we don't want to manage our Kubernetes ourselves because we want to sleep at night. Also, we don't want to manage, uh, manage our databases ourselves. So that's why we're using DigitalOcean managed uh, Kubernetes as well as DigitalOcean managed Postgres. And the timescale license does not allow other um, database as a service providers to offer a managed timescale service because they do run their own. But unfortunately, they only run inside of Google Cloud and AWS, so not inside of DigitalOcean. We would love to use their uh, managed service because then we would not have to deal with everything ourselves. But they do offer a basic license that is able to run on DigitalOcean managed Postgres. But this does not include things like um, data compression, etc. So that's why the data is, is growing or like the Disk usage is growing very, very fast. So this is what we did in the beginning. We used uh, DigitalOcean Managed Postgres with like their um, basic timescale extension, but we've only been like scaling up our database every month. So this was not really viable for a long time. And so we had to come up with a solution. And the solution now is that we manage our Postgres ourselves also on DigitalOcean, but it's uh, not like they are managed Postgres anymore, but we manage the droplets servers ourselves with uh, things like Terraform and Ansible, having our own monitoring. So as you can imagine, switching systems with 10 million measurements a day in like production was, was a bit of a challenge, to say the least. <laughs> so we had a time where we were running both databases in parallel, ingesting data into both, and then also migrating data back fr um, from the old database to the new one, also in a, another schema. So this was a challenge, but we've been working on it for a couple of months until the managed Postgres on, uh, on DigitalOcean that was back then our, still our production database started acting weirdly like the load was going up while the CPU was down, memory looked fine, and then it stopped working altogether. So we've been in touch with uh, DigitalOcean support, uh, which was very helpful also um, at nighttime. So their support was really good for us. But unfortunately, the problem was somewhere in uh, TimescaleDB, so they could not really help us either. So we had to make the switch now, basically. So this was pretty stressful. Yeah, but in the end, fortunately, it worked out and we have not lost any data. So we're pretty proud of this. I guess you were glad that you'd already started that process off before, yes, before you very, finally had to move. Very yeah. fortunate for us. The timescale thing is interesting. So for a side project of Snapshooter, I wanted to use timescale. And I didn't even consider when I saw that it was a plugin offered on uh, DigitalOcean that there would be an issue until I used it and realized that the license didn't support what I needed. So I ended up also hosting my own Postgres database with the uh, timescale plugin on the community version. And it's, yeah, it was a bit irritating to say the least. <laughs> I also tried the managed solution that timescale have. Did you look at that? They have their own hosted, like self-hosted version where you just pay a, a, a monthly subscription and they do it on their own cloud. Yes, we did look into this, but unfortunately it's only running on AWS and Google Cloud, so not in our DigitalOcean region. Okay. So this is like, we would have like huge latencies and also like uh, networking costs, etc. So we did not try this out yet, but <laughs> probably they are maybe launching their uh, managed service on DigitalOcean as well. This would be would be a good thing for us. That'd be interesting, yeah. I was just hoping that some, they would just there would just be a way to pay the license fee. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're super it. super happy to pay for managed services because uh, we yeah. know 
what the cost to manage them yourselves or paying employees to manage them is. So we're very happy to uh, also support great projects. I can see why they did it, because if you look at Redis or um, Elasticsearch with AWS basically offering them as paid services uh, without, you know, there's probably a lot of politics there, but uh, not not paying you know what they're making yeah back to the actual curators of the project yeah. so i think it's a, it's a big issue in open source and i'm personally a big fan of this license model where you offer a basic license for free but if you want to mm-hmm. offer a managed service um it's it's only for your own company so i really support this model yeah it's just disappointing when you <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's the, disappointing when it does not work solution. with your provider yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so interesting so what is your current backup strategy then? You've probably got a lot of data there. Um, that was probably a big consideration when you were moving your data. Yeah, of course. So um, it's it's like a hybrid model. So we're doing hourly snapshots with uh, PG Backrest and also doing daily um, backups uh, with Snapshooter, actually. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great to have different um, backup destinations and strategies because systems mm-hmm. do fail and we don't want to rely on one and also we're of course, not storing the data in like the same data center region that the database is living in because if it burns down, hurt this can happen if you look at France. Uh, yeah, this is basically our backup strategy. And also DigitalOcean has some some sort of um, backup and data rollback uh, in their managed Postgres as well. So we're still a customer of um, the managed Postgres, but not for time series data, but for like the main database of the API that's storing user accounts and device information, etc. Okay, that makes sense to segregate. They have like different data sort of requirements and uh, yeah, policies around backups. We like to decouple systems because, for example, if the time series data has a, a an issue, then we don't want our uh, whole API to go down because we are still able to backfill data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, and the point about, you know, multiple backup strategies is a good one. Also having your data elsewhere, I think it was it was only yesterday or the day before where a London data center took down was was down and it took the whole of Voltra down for an hour or so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> due to power, power failures. So yeah, I guess in that scenario, what would you do? But um good to have your data in two places. I mean, do you ever consider that risk? Like digitalization data center provider has a power outage for whatever reason and you're gonna be down for an hour or so. Do you have a scenario for that case, or is that a is that out of the scope of a disaster recovery plan? Uh, we have it on a roadmap, definitely, to support uh, multiple data centers. Also, because when we started, like all of our customers were from Germany, so all our servers are located in Frankfurt. Also, for GDPR reasons, but since we opened the self sign up, and especially with the Loravine technology. Our customers are like from all over the world. We have something like 40% of our customers are from the US and they're all accessing data on a Frankfurt server. So as you can imagine, the latency is not the greatest. So uh, we have multi, multi-region multi deployments on our roadmap and we'll, this is something we'll probably um, do this year. So this could also allow for like a failover if Frankfurt burns down or whatever. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, I guess also for those devices sending the data is going to be far more efficient for them to send it to an ingest point across in the States. Not that there is any like great network unreliability between us and there, but definitely helps, doesn't it? It's the latency. That's the latency. Issues, yeah. Cool. Is there anything else you want to mention about your tech stack? Anything that's you think particularly interesting? I do have like a recommendation. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So in the beginning, we tried to, for example, host our Redis and Postgres as well in our Kubernetes. 
But I've made the experience that you really do not want to host stateful applications or services inside Kubernetes unless you're like 100% sure what you're doing, especially with auto scaling when data moves between nodes. We've had some weird issues. So right now in our Kubernetes, everything is stateless and all the stateful services like databases, etc. live outside of Kubernetes. Um, so this is something I would that would be very helpful if we knew this in the beginning, that this could be such a pain. But yeah, now we know, and I'd like to uh, tell this to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so your new, your Postgres that you use just for the time series data, well, how are you hosting that or you know, um, managing that? Is that on raw DigitalOcean droplets? It's Yeah, it's on raw DigitalOcean droplets that are managed by Terraform and Ansible. Okay, okay. So at that level of like abstraction, okay, makes sense. Are you making use of DigitalOcean's um, storage-based droplets and their volumes or...? Yeah, we're using the storage optimized droplets. Fortunately, it scales, um, still scales for us. Um, we don't have to attach like external storage volumes because I think this could increase the latency. But the support told us that, especially with the storage optimized droplets, um, that's not really an issue. And this is also what we've noticed. And this was actually also one of the downsides of the managed Postgres because we had a lot of data but did not need that much of computing power. So um, with the managed Postgres and DigitalOcean, you're not able to independently scale the storage from everything else. So every time we needed more storage, we also had to scale up the CPU and uh, memory. This was not very flexible for us. So um, now with our own solution, we can scale everything independently. Okay. Yeah, I also I used to use them. I didn't like that when you'd have to bring the database down to resize as into, just purely to increase disk space. But I guess I guess you're in the same boat. If you do a resize and you have replicas, this is like ah, zero, ah, zero yeah, downtime. Zero. So this works really, really well. But like we did not need all the CPU and memory that we had in the <laughs> end, and we paid for it. So this was okay. So I see you've got a sort of a cost saving with your solution now. As if you're still yeah more more data than you need, you know, CPU and resources for. Cool. Okay. I think this is probably a good place to wrap up this episode. Thank you very much for coming on, Lucas. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Pushing to Production podcast from Snapshooter.com. Snapshooter is a backup service for all of your online servers, databases, and applications. From the whole server snapshots at providers like DigitalOcean, AWS, and Vultra, as well as direct backups from any provider to your given storage of choice, S3, Backblaze, Google Drive, the list goes on. Check us out today. We have a limited free plan or all plans come with a 14-day free trial with no card required. Thanks for listening and tune in next week.